welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. That's what keeps this show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the podcast. I am Amanda Blackwood, your host, and today I have another beautiful Australian accent on the episode. Uh, You guys are going to love her. She grew up on the west coast of Tasmania, uh, but her life all kind of changed when she was quite young, and Shrisanthi is just absolutely fascinating. You guys are going to love her, and I cannot wait to introduce her, so I'm not going to. Shrisanthi Dukos, welcome to the show. Thank you, Amanda. It's just wonderful to be here. I'm really excited about today. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. We've been planning on this for quite a while now, and we finally get to do it. We have, (laughs) and uh, the anticipation has just been um, really (laughs) (laughs) mind-blowing. It's so exciting. Uh, So tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, I did touch on that you were uh, living in Tasmania as a kid. Tell us about your childhood. Where all did you grow up and what happened to kind of turn your life upside down? Oh, wow. Uh, Where do I start? Um, As a child, I grew up on the west coast of Tasmania in Australia, and it's a really rugged mining area. And my sister and I used to have a fairly carefree existence we would um, catch tadpoles in the creeks and we used to explore abandoned mine shafts and ride our bikes it was lots and lots of fun Um, but um, as we'll explore further in the interview uh, things weren't all that they seemed at home and um, as the as my life progressed sort of trauma definitely crept in Wow, that often happens to so many of us. What kind of an age range difference is there between you and your sister? My sister is uh, two and a half years younger than me. Yeah. Okay. So she was witness to a lot of the trauma. Was she old enough to understand the, the stuff you guys were going through? Was she still too young to really process it? Oh, yeah, she certainly was um, old enough to experience it and feel the impact of it. Absolutely. Uh, We often talk about our childhood experiences and um, how we how we were. um, How shall I put this? I suppose victims of family violence. Tell us a little bit about that trauma. What what started happening? Well, um, some of my most vivid memories uh, of being a child um, are experiencing my father's anger. Um, I was a child who had to be perfect. Everything had to be right. I had to do everything correctly or I would experience my father's wrath. Um, And I remember one time one of his cousins had given me a beautiful um, display doll with a ceramic head and a plastic body and she was in um, in a display box and 
I took her down from the shelf one day. I must have been about six or seven. And um, somehow or other I dropped the doll and her head smashed. So uh, what I remember is my father's brown leather belt with a gold buckle and um, the following day my body was covered in bruises. So my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. So six or seven years old, that's awfully young to be experiencing that kind of violence. Yes, it is. Um, But my father and my mum came from uh, Albania, which is a, was a very austere communist country. And his father was an alcoholic. So he experienced violence from his father growing up. So that's all he knew. Right. Right. And that happens so often too, that this trauma is either passed down because this is habitual or it's fought against and fought and people can fight back against it. But there's this, I mean, it's just seems to be the way that it is. You either fight against it or you become it. Look, certainly in, in my lived experience and also, you know, I've, I've done a lot of research trying to understand family dynamics and intergenerational trauma and what I've read and come across is that it, it's almost, it becomes part of your DNA almost. Um, you, these behaviours are so deeply ingrained that your neural pathways, um, that's all they know. And so when you get angry or upset, you respond in the way that you learnt your parents did. You know? Yes. Um, yep. and, and even though, like, I spend a lot of time in my life um, thinking I'll never, ever get angry like that with my children or hurt them, I remember one time um, with my son, he was about three and he just kept up goading me and goading me and I slapped him in the face. And, you know, I've worn that guilt all my adult life since then. But um, I suppose the point I'm trying to make here is that it's so innate, so ingrained in our neural pathways that unless you make a conscious decision as, a, as an adult, that you're not going to go down that same pathway. It, it's really hard. It's really yes. hard. Yeah, absolutely. Have you found that this has actually impacted a lot of your um, subsequent relationships with people, friendships, re- um, romantic relationships, anything like that? Oh, look, absolutely. Um, I look back on my relationship with my father and mum. I had different experiences with my mother, but um, I would class the dynamic between my father and I as being narcissistic abuse. And that has set the blueprint for me as um, a human being in terms of all of my interpersonal relationships. And I just seem to keep attracting people who um, also narcissistically abused me, whether it was in um, a work context, a, um, a friendship or intimate partner relationships. Right. You feel like you're walking on eggshells sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I felt like I was walking on eggshells for about 50 years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, that's awful. How did you start to recognize what was happening in your life? How did you start fighting back against all of this? 
Oh, look, um, you know, I've been aware um, that, you know, I lived in a, a background of um, family violence and um, as I lived in different inter intimate partner relationships, I realised that, um, you know, they were toxic. But it wasn't until um, a couple of years ago where I actually became suicidal. Um, mm -hmm. I lost a lot of weight. I lost over 20 kilograms, which I think is about um, 45, 50 pounds. Goodness. Um, and I'd gone from a size 14 to 16 in Australian sizes right down to a size 8. So um, I looked anorexic, I looked unhealthy, I, I was completely unhealthy. Um, I became very highly anxious and simultaneously depressed and I really didn't feel like life had any... Um, anything to offer me and I became hopeless and helpless um, and ended up in a psychiatric ward and it was there that, um, you know, uh, while I was there talking to the mental health nurses, talking to the psychiatrists there, we explored um, things that I'd mentioned about my upbringing in terms of uh, family violence and I was referred to a family violence counsellor and um, when I spoke with her, she said to me, look, these are all red flags in terms of your current relationship and um, you need to assess where, where you're at. And I started doing a lot of reading around narcissistic abuse and um, came to terms with the fact that, yes, I, I had been in a relationship and my previous relationships had also been narcissistically abusive. So it was a wake-up call. Yeah, absolutely. One of the hardest things that I found is is asking for help in those moments too. It's amazing that somebody recognized that and said, no, we need to get you this help and you didn't have to ask. But it's a really difficult step to have to go, you know what, I can't. I can't do this by myself. I need help. And it sounds like you went through some of that too. They didn't just take you aside and say, no, you're going to do this. No, you have to accept it. Absolutely not. Um, my daughter actually was one of the people that kept encouraging me to go and get help in the first place. Um, and a good friend of mine who I'd known for many, many years, they both kept on saying, you know, you need to get help, you need to get help. And um, I, I was in such a daze that it wasn't actually until I had been in the clinic for a couple of weeks that all the pennies started to drop and I, yeah, I, I, I realised that I actually did need help, that I um, wasn't capable of doing it on my own, that I needed others around me and, um, and that's where my healing journey really began when I firstly came to terms with the fact that I was in a toxic relationship and secondly when I realized I couldn't do it on my own that I needed help from other people as well yeah. I needed my tribe around me yes and sometimes it's so hard to find that tribe too absolutely and I've heard it said so many times you have to be careful who you're telling your traumas to because some people only want to listen so they know how to poke you later 
Absolutely, absolutely. And not only poke you, but also undermine you. Yes. Um, you know, like I, in the workplace, I um, ended up having a breakdown because I had shared my story with a few colleagues and also my boss and um, it wasn't honoured. I was seen as somebody who had something wrong with them and wasn't coping with life rather than someone who needed extra support to go through this part of her life and, and, and you know, come out thriving as a human being. Right. I can relate to that too. And so many trauma survivors can. Uh, back in 2019, my shortly after my boss found out that I was a survivor of human trafficking, I was let go from a job that I'd held for almost three years. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's a terrible thing. They think that this means that this is going to be drama and this is going to be a hindrance to the organization, to the company, to the coworkers, and it has nothing to do with them. No, it doesn't. Absolutely not. And, um, you know, here in Australia, we talk about being trauma-informed. Um, and I believe that's a, a phrase that's bandied about in the US as well. Is that, is that right? Yes. Yeah, and so, you know, the latest stuff is all about being trauma-informed, but um, I don't think even the people who talk about being trauma-informed really understand what that means unless they've lived it themselves. It's simply a theoretical concept and um, there's a lot of conversations that we have to have um, as human beings in this world about what it is to be trauma-informed and and how to support people who've experienced really extreme trauma. Yes. Yeah, I agree completely. I Trauma-informed, it's, it's kind of like the term triggered. A mm. lot of people who use it don't understand really where the word comes from and what it means. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's being used a little bit too much in a lot of circumstances. It's the same thing with narcissistic abuse. You've actually lived through narcissistic abuse. A lot of people who want to use the terminology aren't really sure what narcissistic abuse is, and they don't have the mm. medical knowledge to be able to um, diagnose something like that. It's Absolutely. difficult to diagnose. Well, well, it is. I mean, um, in fact, most people who are... Um, who do have narcissistic personality disorder, which is an actual disorder, um, cannot be diagnosed because they they won't attend um, a clinic or a psychiatrist or whatever to be diagnosed in the first right. place. And even if they do, they quite often um, twist things around in that clinical setting where it's difficult to diagnose them. Right, which is actually an earmark of being a narcissistic person. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to diagnose because this is who they are. <laughs> and the hardest thing about narcissistic abuse is that um, people on the outside just cannot see it um, because the your partner or friend or whatever comes across as this um, charming um, sort of soul. Charismatic. Yeah, charismatic. That's the word. (laughs) (laughs) I've been there too. (laughs) 
Yeah. yeah. And people just don't get it, do they, Amanda? They, they just, I know. you know, and, and they bring in, um, there's a, a woman in the US called Rebecca Zung. I don't know if you've come across her at all. Um, and she talks about flying monkeys that um, <laughs> yes. have their flying monkeys. So basically they get people that, um, you know, they know and convince them that it's the, the actual victim that is the problem, not them. Right. Yeah, the victim is the crazy one. Mm-hmm. They're the abusive one. and They flip mm-hmm. everything over. Totally. Um, Totally. That's actually a uh, common terminology between my best friend and I whenever we talk about um, some of the issues that either of us have had in our past. She's like, oh, the flying monkeys are out again. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, you know, it's ironic, but that was the f- that that part of The Wizard of Oz terrified me when I was a kid. Those yeah. flying monkeys, man, they will come out of nowhere and they will mm-hmm. destroy everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've had lots of instances in my life where the flying monkeys have come out screaming and, you know. Yes. Um, terrorise me. I think, yeah. yeah, that's a great word, terrorise. Yeah. yeah, I've been dealing with a little bit of that recently myself. Oh, wow. And to some degree they never stop. No, no. Yeah. They're convinced what? that they're right and you can't convince them otherwise. And I, I've got to, to a point where I realised that um, I'm not even going to put any effort in trying to convince them otherwise because I know that that is a waste of time. My, my lived experience has shown me that you cannot convince somebody who's been convinced by a narcissist. Right. What's one thing that you wish you could tell someone who's going through what you and your sister went through when you were growing up? Oh, wow. Um, there is a light at the end of the tunnel you can you can recover and you can heal from this um you know I've spent many years coming to terms with all of it and I'm finally in a good place like I'm 56 and um I'm alone in terms of not having an intimate partner in my life and I love the fact that I'm alone. I'm doing things that I want to do when I want to do them. Um, I'm actually renovating my house at the moment and choosing all these wonderful colours like bright yellow for the front door and burnt orange for the walls externally and (laughs) I'm really going for it. Um, so I suppose what I'm trying to say in a roundabout way is that we can either let it destroy us or choose that it's not going to and we can rise like a phoenix out of the ashes and resurrect ourselves into the best person we can be for ourselves. Well, how do you define your personal boundaries? <sighs> Look, Having experienced narcissistic abuse, boundaries has always, always been the most um, critical thing that has um, drawn me back into those relationships. Um, The enmeshment between me and someone else in terms of a narcissist has been so great that I haven't known where I end and where they begin and vice versa and 
I've become so codependent on that person that um, I would say that I didn't have boundaries. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really understood what that term means. Um, and it, it to me now, boundaries is about um, being safe emotionally, psychologically, not just physically, and um, making choices that are healthy for me, that, um, you know, we talk about self-care. Keeping boundaries is what self-care is all about, um, as far as I'm concerned. It's um, not allowing people in your life that belittle you, undermine you, um, criticise you. Obviously, we all need to have... Um, um, what's the word, constructive advice, constructive um, input from other people. But if it's a toxic situation, we don't need that and we need to push that away. We don't need to give those people airtime in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives. You know, and on that same subject, I want to talk a little bit about your website. You've got some really great uh, resources for people that are going through terrible things. How did that come about and what are some of the tools that you offer? Well, it's interesting. I've um, actually developed what's called the trust method. Trust stands for trust your gut. R is reach out. U is unbind from the narcissist. S is stay grounded. And T is tear apart the wounds. And so I've started to put together some um, workshops and uh, courses around that trust model. And um, for people who are listening in today and people who purchased my book, if they uh, quote the word Phoenix Rising when they um, express interest in my workshop, or my course, they'll actually be discounted. Uh, actually, the workshop will be is around values, and that will be free for anybody who um, uses the word Phoenix Rising or quotes that. And I'm doing a, a short course on emotions and um, how to work through our emotional responses to um, to trauma and you know come to a place where we feel emotional regulation, that's um, a short course. And, again, if um, listeners quote Phoenix Rising, it'll be half price. Um, I also have some resources on my website, which um, the first one is a PDF, which are chapter reflections related to my book that guide people into understanding um, the whole narcissistically abusive cycle of love bombing, um, devaluing, discarding and hoovering. And then following through the trust model, um, there's some activities that people can do that um, will help them identify where, you know, where they sit, how they can um, bring in some of the examples that I've used in my life to improve how I feel about myself and um, make me um, immune, I suppose, to narcissistic people. So that's actually a free PDF. 
I've also got some resources around family violence services uh, and a safety plan. And um, I'm wanting to actually set up a, um, a women's circle and I'm going to put a link on my website. And if anyone is interested in that, I'll, I'll get started on that in the next month or so. This but is amazing. Quite oh, my gosh. Coming up. <laughs> Absolutely. You could change somebody's life with some of those stuff. And I, I imagine you probably will many times over. Look, I, it's, it's funny because um, I seem in my life to have drawn either narcissists or people who've been affected by narcissists. <laughs> and I don't mean to laugh because it's a funny thing, but it's just, um, you know, if I don't laugh, I would cry. Uh, and but, you so, know, I think that's so common for so many of us. I'm the same way. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we do. We we just seem to have this little badge on our foreheads that says, you know, <laughs> over here, it's me. <laughs> and I so think, I think we attract what what is um, familiar. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, what I was going to say is that um, in the past, I've just at a a human level been there for other women. And actually, can I do you mind if I read you something from um, a testimonial in my book? Um, I would love that. It sounds like this might be the perfect place to do that. Well, this is a friend of mine. Her name's Kathleen Atherton, and she's a writer. Chrysanthi was my biggest inspiration for feminine power from the moment I met her, even though, unbeknownst to both of us, she was to encounter yet another struggle in the years coming. Chrysanthi has weathered and come through countless challenges in the most beautiful grace and strength, emerging each time anew. Even amidst her own pain, she always made time to help another woman on her journey. One of those women was me. Wow. That's cool. So, you know, like I've, I've been... I've been there for others. I've helped other women, uh, you know. I've literally... Um, packed up their belongings, put them in the back of a van and driven off the house where they lived with an abusive partner. Um, I've had women come and stay in my home um, I, and I've mentored, you know, so I've done this over the years, you know, just at that personal level and now I hope to do that um, through my book and through my courses on my website and I didn't mention I also am starting a blog so if people want to listen uh, sorry read through my blogs they can get lots of advice and information around how to not just survive not just thrive but actually like me rise like a phoenix out of the ashes that's awesome. How do they find your blog and your website? Okay, so my website is currently um, being um, updated. And if people log on to chrysanthidokos.com.au. Okay. That's all they need to do to find my blog and my website. And I also do have um, a Facebook page and it's just Chrysanthi Dokos author and um, they should be able to find it there. 
My book is just currently in the publishing stage and will be out in mid-May. It'll be retailing, I don't know what it is in US dollars, but in Australian dollars it'll be retailing at $29.95, which I think is around about $23.24 US dollars. But um, for those people who buy it on this tiny URL as a pre-launch, it's uh, reduced to $19.95 in um, Australian dollars. So I think that's probably around about $14 or $15 US dollars. And, um, wow. That's a great deal. I know it's a great deal, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to um, get hold and, and it'll be a signed copy, um, you may uh, purchase it on tinyurl.com forward slash getting out book. If anyone wants to contact me personally, I'd be more than happy to um, interact with them. I've even got a woman at the moment in Germany who... Uh, a friend of a friend passed on my name and email and we've been interacting and I've just been providing her with support um, at a distance. So, you know, I'm happy to talk to anybody who is interested in um, listening to what I have to say. Very cool. Do you mostly work with women? Um, look, I also... Um, am an ally of the LGBTQI plus community and would love to work with people in that area. I, I already do, but um, at a more professional level. And um, I would work with men who've been narcissistically abused as well, um, but I haven't done that um, as yet, to be honest with you. But you're getting there. I'm That's getting there. <laughs> step by step. You know, we can't do everything all at once. <laughs> yes. No matter how many of us try to. <laughs> Look, that's been my biggest downfall. Yes, I'll do. Oh, yes, I'll do that. Oh, yes, I'll do this. And then I end up getting really sick and crashing and crash and burn, which is not yes. what I keep doing. <laughs> I, I have that issue uh, frequently myself, the entire month of December, in fact. <laughs> I was just done with everything. <laughs> yeah, look, I think December was a bit like that for me too. <laughs> you know, there's just something about it. Absolutely. I think especially for the people that have survived uh, ongoing abuse, sometimes the holidays can be the hardest time of the year, no matter where we are in life now. Oh, look, absolutely. For me, Christmas as a child was the pits that's probably the best oh. way of describing it and now um when christmas comes nearer and nearer um i find myself getting uh, more anxious and and then when i sit back and think about it i realize what it is you know it's triggering all those childhood memories and um i need to sit with it so yeah it, it's a hard one isn't it Oh, absolutely. And there's there's something to be said for trauma anniversaries too. That's oh, a very real thing. Oh, yes. And um, often when my mind doesn't recall, my body does. It's really interesting. Have you done much in uh, reading about epigenetics? No. Not familiar with it. Tell me about it. Okay. So what my understanding of epigenetics is and, you know, I'm not an expert, um, but from what I've read is that, oh, excuse me, um, our DNA is impacted 
when um, an event occurs or and particularly a traumatic event um, and it, it sort of not only changes our neural pathways but also our DNA composition changes and um, it's something that is genetically transferred to um, our offspring and also sort of changes our current body, um, not just our offspring, um, and, and it's sort of like the DNA remembers, the body wow. remembers. It's really fascinating stuff that I've been reading. Um, and it sort of really explains a lot about not just family violence, intergenerational trauma, but also when we think about First Nations people and their histories and the intergenerational trauma that they've experienced, the whole idea of epigenetics really does um, provide a lot of answers for the current issues that many First Nations people in the world are experiencing. Right. Wow. I imagine that your learning about all of this has probably helped your, not just your sister, but also your daughter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we have the most amazing conversations about trauma and intergenerational trauma. And um, she's making a lot of really sound choices in her life based on the discussions that we've had because of what I've learned. So yeah. breaking that cycle of, um, of intergenerational trauma. And I understand you have a bit of your book that you would like to read for the audience. Oh, well, um, yes, I do. And it's um, segments out of the first chapter of my book. And my book is called Getting Out, Claim Your Life After Narcissistic Abuse. And um, I'm going to read the first section and then the final section. So this is chapter one at my worst. <clears throat> you have generalised anxiety disorder and complex PTSD. In my assessment, you'll be here at least three to four weeks and you will start to improve within six to eight weeks. I sat there stunned. I could not imagine that I would be better at all, let alone six to eight weeks. I had walked the labyrinth of dark shadows for months and now I was here. The brochure described the clinic as a therapeutic environment in beautiful landscape gardens, supporting recovery and enhancing a sense of self. What self? I asked out loud when I read it. I'd become an empty shell, a victim of another emotional vampire. I had been here before, but this time was somehow different. The roller coaster of highs and lows of past relationships had kept me hanging on and hanging on. I'd been addicted to the highs and kept seeking my fix. This time was different. He had me hooked right from the beginning. He was so good at disguising his true self, a chameleon through and through. I thought at this stage of my life I'd had enough life experience to smell a rat when I saw it. But no. Narcissists are militaristic in their camouflage. It took two years for him to wear me down, slowly, chipping away at the edges of my self-esteem. I lost myself, bit by bit, my body eating away at itself as I struggled to hold down my food, 
My dress has begun to hang on me like sacks and my hips no longer held up my jeans. Look at you. You look great. You look so much better with all that weight off you. Why don't we go shopping and buy you some new clothes? <clears throat> the narcissist had convinced me that going from a size 14 to a size 8 was somehow normal, somehow acceptable, somehow beautiful. I was gaunt. Black shadows sat below my sunken eyes. My cheekbones protruded. I had become a walking advertisement for anorexia. Most days I sat in a daze, stupefied by the misgivings I had about myself. When I had met the narcissist, I was a strong, confident, independent and resilient woman. That woman no longer existed. She had become a mythological fantasy of a long time ago. I was unable to reach out to her. She was fragmented, sharp, razor-like edges replaced the soft, warm beauty within. I was unable to think clearly, constantly second-guessing myself. I became convinced that I was worthless. He was worthy of someone so much better than me, or so I told myself. Scarred by previous relationships, I could no longer trust my gut feelings. They were wrong. Clearly they were wrong. How could I possibly question this loving man in front of me? But I kept questioning. And this is the last section. Months went by. I was unable to sit still. I spent hours pacing up and down the local beach each day trying to calm myself. As I couldn't concentrate on anything that required my brain to function, walking was the only thing that I seemed to be able to do. I tried to find walking partners, but the reality was I didn't have the energy or headspace to talk to anyone. That was until one day I felt I needed to make amends with my good old school friend Jasmine. I'd cut her off in the previous year as she'd made negative comments about my partner. She had told me she thought he was a narcissist. When we met at a local cafe, she told me how pleased she was to hear from me. She inquired about my relationship and I was loath to tell her that deep down I felt it was toxic. I told her that Olive and I had reconnected and that she wanted me to see my GP for a referral to the clinic. Jasmine listened carefully. With tears welling up in her eyes, she looked across at me and said, Prisanthi, I think Olive is right. If you look at it at some time out to give you some breathing space and thinking time, the clinic might be just what you need. Dr Wang smiled and in his calm, even voice asked me, do you give permission to go ahead with a treatment schedule? I couldn't decide what to eat for breakfast and he was asking for my permission. How could I decide on something as significant as messing with my brain? I took a leap of faith in those gentle brown eyes and let out a raspy, yes. I felt I had run out of all other options. Wow. Oh. And this, it's so relatable and so real, especially the last line running out of options hmm. so many of us have been there mm -hmm. we've got nothing left what are we supposed to do no. and, and i hope after today um you know that was a couple of years ago and you know listening to me today i hope um your listeners 
can see that um, that person, that was me in that story. And here I am today, um, completely different. You know, right. I, I don't recognise that woman anymore. She's no longer me. Um, I'm someone now who has grown from that and I hope that I can be um, a lighthouse for other women um, or other people who have been narcissistically abused and know that it is possible to recover. It is possible to heal. It is possible not to just survive but to go beyond thriving and be their best, best selves. That is beautiful and powerful. And if nobody has told you this lately, I'm really proud of you. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah, I must admit I'm, I am very proud of myself. Um, and that's one of the things about um, getting to this place is um, being able to look at yourself in the mirror and actually give yourself those positive strokes um, because we need to love ourselves. We need to honour ourselves. We need to um, believe that we have the capacity to move beyond it. Is it all right if I use a four-letter word? <laughs> yes, I will have a disclaimer. <laughs> that we've been through, you know, because, you know, basically it a lot of my life was shit, you know, um, and um, I don't want to, I don't want to carry that anymore in my life, you know. I don't want to focus on that. I've chosen not to do that anymore. I've got two more questions that I always ask people before I let them go. Okay. Um, the last one is just for fun. Yeah. Um, but this one is a little bit more um, um, pushy, I guess. Okay. Pushy. I'm ready. <laughs> Who's your hero? Who do Who's you look up hero? to through all of this? Ah, uh, look. To be honest, my mother, my mother, she was, um, oh, wow, I'm starting to get emotional here. Um, <clears throat> she had gone through so much in her life. Um, she grew, She was born in um, the mid-1920s, so she lived through depression. She lived through World War II. Um, she lived through living in a concentration camp for two and a half years in communist Albania. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She escaped communist Albania and lived in a refugee camp for three years in Greece. And then she was transported to Australia in 1957 where she was married off to an abusive man. Um, and... In 1960, so three years after she married him, you remember this is 1960 and we're talking about a very conservative um, country here in Australia at that time, she left him. She oh. left him. And Oh, my gosh, that took strength. It took strength. It took incredible strength. Um, and... But then, you know, four years later, she had an arranged marriage to my father and um, had two children who she just loved, adored, and she wanted just the very best for both of us. And 
one of the things that she wanted for both my sister and I was to get an education, to get a um, a college education, as, as you call it in the US. We call it university here. Um, and make sure that we had a, a qualification where we could always be independent financially and never rely on somebody to, you know, survive, basically. Um, and she pushed and pushed us. But not only that, you know, she she died at 94 and she died in such a positive way. Um, you know, she was grateful for the life she had, even after everything that she'd experienced right up until the very end, you know, I was with her, so was my sister when she died, you know. She had the most wicked sense of humour. <laughs> and so for me, my mum is my biggest hero and will always be because, you know, she overcame so much. And I think the resilience that I have and my daughter has and my sister has and her girls um, comes from my, from my mother. Wow. How long has she been gone now? Um, she died um, almost 12 months ago. Oh, not very long. I'm so sorry. No, um, not long at all. Um, wow. So we're going to uh, let's let's change the mood here a little bit. Okay, let's change the mood. <laughs> Where are we going to now? <laughs> One last question for you. Okay. What's one thing you love about yourself that's not related to your physical appearance? Oh, I was going to say my resilience. Um, that works beautifully. You definitely uh, uh, have does. a lot of that. <laughs> but I think, you know what, I'm going to go one step further and I think is my creativity. Nice. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that I've found as part of my healing journey is that I've tapped into my creative side and I think I mentioned before about the colours of my house in terms of the renovation. Um, I've deliberately chosen crazy colours that um, will brighten up my day and I'm making garden decorations with most incredible colours and um, I've been writing poetry and um, being creative with my blog. And, you know, it's just, um, yeah, creativity because once you let go of the shit, as we've talked about, and touch and really go deep into yourself, allowing that creativity to come out is the most beautiful thing and I think that's what I love about me right now. That's fantastic. Thank you. I love it about you too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. It's been such a wonderful experience um, talking with you today and, and meeting you for the first time um, like this. Yes, thank you. I have very much enjoyed our time together. I mean, we spent, I guess, probably about 15, 20 minutes talking before we even started recording the episode. I feel like I've just been catching up with a friend. Oh, me too. Me too. It's <laughs> lovely, isn't it? And and it goes back to that, um, what we were talking about earlier is if you connect with somebody who has been traumatised, you know, like attracts like, 
um, it is like that because we have so much in common. Yes. Yeah. We can feel it in our heart. You're a but beautiful you're... soul. Oh, I was just going to say that to you. You're a beautiful <laughs> soul. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, we're too much alike. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today and for being on the podcast. You're an absolute treasure and a delight. And uh, I, I'm excited that other people now get to know who you are too. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I've, I've had a lovely time this morning or afternoon. No, sorry, morning for you, afternoon for me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's just been wonderful. Um yeah, sharing time with you. And um, I hope the listeners get a lot of positives out of this conversation today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. You're going to find links there on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support this podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed this interview, please feel free to let them know. Mm-hmm.